Good morning, friends, to today's message I've titled Rock Star or Humble Servant. You know, every now and then when the media are talking about a public, the public perception of a politician, they'll say that he or she has become kind of a rock star among voters. I guess that means that whenever they take the stage, there's a lot of cheering and excitement coming from the crowd. Now, I don't know whether we're going to hear that term in this summer's primaries, but I, I would hope not. If I were a candidate, and I'm not, I would especially hope not, because Rockstar does not come close to describing the role of a politician, nor should it be the image that they would want to project. Now, if you ask me, you know, what is the most accurate job description for a politician, I still like the word words public servant. We don't hear that as often as we used to. I mean, the media does prefer things like Rockstar, but Public servant is really what a politician is. Now, I've also heard the media use the term rock star to describe megachurch pastors, the ones who achieve celebrity status. Again, I don't consider this to be a flattering term. I mean, I can't imagine that a pastor could feel comfortable in the role of celebrity, though it appears that some do. The problem is that people are often drawn to celebrity. We love famous people, sometimes to the point of obsession. The public clamors to know all the details of the lives of the rich and famous, and if they should be embroiled in a scandal, all the better. We love famous people, and we love for famous people to act like famous people. We live in a culture that worships celebrity, and of all the ill-advised things to worship, this should be at the top of the list in politics, sports, business, and even in ministry. Our fascination with fame distorts our perception of what greatness really is, and it distorts our perception of what kind of a person we should admire and aspire to be. Now, I missed a week, but uh, I'll tell you again, we're in the second week of our series about Jesus, and you might want to go back and read the previous one, or listen to it, I should say. We're looking for the next several weeks at history's most fascinating character, who he was, what he was like, what he came to do, and what he expects of us, the ones who follow him, the ones of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Well, last week we saw that Jesus was, I mean, he is God in the flesh. The eternal God became a man and dwelt among us. He came to show us what a relationship with God is all about. We also saw that our objective is to know him and become like him. That's what this series of messages is all about. Today I want to highlight an aspect of Christ's character that anyone can imitate. I mean, there are many things about him uh, that you can't copy. I mean, you're not pre-existent. You didn't create the universe. You didn't die for the sins of the world. And you probably would never walk on water unless it was frozen and so on. But there is one aspect of Jesus' character that you can fully and completely imitate. In this, you can be just like him. Now, if anyone deserved the rock star treatment, it was Jesus. If anyone deserved to be treated like a celebrity, waited on hand and foot, it was Jesus. But that's not what happened. In John chapter 1, uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, John says about Jesus, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, he could have demanded such treatment. He could have lived like royalty during his time on earth, but he didn't. Because he came instead to show us what true greatness really looks like, what true greatness is, and what true greatness does. 
When we look at, to Jesus, we not only lose our fascination with celebrity, but we also get an idea of what our own lives should look like. In the final hours of Jesus' life, he said to his disciples in Luke 22, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And then in Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You see, friends, Jesus' ministry on earth was a ministry of humble service. During this time, his, this time, his disciples witnessed some amazing things, more miracles than they could count. People healed of every type of affliction, including at least two who were raised from the dead. They saw the forces of nature obey his command and the demons tremble at his name. They heard him teach with authority and they saw the power of God at work through him. There was nothing about Jesus that was weak or timid, and yet in the midst of all his, this power, there was an underlying attitude of humble service toward others. That's what drove him, and that's what defined him. So in our time remaining together, I want us to look at three events in Jesus' life that reflect this attitude of humble service. The first is something we're all familiar with, his birth, in particular the circumstances of his birth. The Christmas story shows us that from the very beginning, Jesus' life was all about humility. He could have announced his birth to King Herod or to the religious leaders of Jerusalem or to Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome. He could have announced his birth to the greatest of the great, and he could have persuaded them that it was in their best interest to receive him well. But that's not what he did. Instead, to whom did he announce his birth? Well, first to a young teenage girl who was about to get married, and then to her bewildered fiancé. And then to some priests of another religion, astronomers maybe, who traveled for months to find him. And then to a group of nomadic shepherds, minimum wage earners on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. And where was this king of all kings born? Not in a palace, but in a in, in the guest house, in that little feed trough, not surrounded by servants and staff, but surrounded by barnyard animals and, and other ordinary people. The circumstances of his birth tell us that there was nothing pretentious about Jesus, no sense of entitlement, no expectation of special treatment. Instead, we see an attitude in him that says, what's good enough for those of simple means is good enough for me. If anyone had the right to say, this day is all about me and I'm going to do it in style, Jesus had that right, but that simply isn't his way. The circumstances of his birth also tell us that Jesus is not easily impressed with power and prestige. He didn't seek the approval of the elite. He chose instead to use a young peasant girl and a working class carpenter, Persian priests and simple shepherds, because these people, the one ones whom society often overlooks and whom history is never likely to remember, these people matter to him. You know, on the mission field, you encounter two kinds of missionaries. Uh, some come in as rich Americans or rich Europeans. They live pretty well. They have the nicest house in town, and they reach down to minister to others. And then there are those missionaries, and you find them all over the world, who come into the community they're called to serve and live among the people, becoming one of them in every way possible. Can you guess which approach Jesus would take? In the circumstances of his birth, we can learn a lesson. 
God has called each one of us in our own situation to live a common life with those around us. No sense of entitlement, no expectation of special treatment, no chasing after prestige. When you demand that you be given special treatment from others, you're demanding for yourself something that Jesus never demanded for himself. His attitude was, what's good enough for those of simple means is good enough for me. That should be our attitude as well. The second event from Jesus' life is actually something that happened several times, and we're going to look at a couple of examples, starting with his low-key approach to public recognition. In Matthew 8, a leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And by the way, this in itself tells us volumes about Jesus. I mean, lepers were the untouchables of first century Jewish culture. And yet he reached out his hand to the man, and as he touched him, he said, I am willing, be clean. And then Jesus said something that leaves many confused. In Matthew 8, 4, it says, see that you don't tell anyone. In the very next chapter, in verse 30, Jesus restored the sight of two men, blind men. And then the Bible says Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. In Mark 7, Jesus healed a man who could neither hear nor speak. The man came to Jesus in the crowd, but Jesus took him aside, away from the others, away from the center of attention, where he could be alone with the man. He healed him so that he was able to hear and speak. And the Bible says Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. You know, we see this again and again in the Gospels. Jesus performs a miracle and says, don't tell anyone about it. Now, why would he tell them not to tell anyone? Well, some have speculated that he didn't want to draw huge crowds that would restrict his movements, or that he didn't want to make his entire ministry about healing people. Personally, I've never found either of those explanations completely satisfactory. Now, the Bible never tells us why Jesus said don't tell anyone. The Bible only says that he said it. We can speculate about why, but one thing is sure. Jesus had no interest in using people to promote his ministry. Can you imagine today a celebrity preacher or a celebrity politician doing something good for someone and not using it for his or her agenda? You know, we've kind of developed this idea today that it's all about the buzz you can create for yourself. If you want to be successful in any endeavor, you need to tap in the power of social media and get everyone talking about it. Let everyone see all the good things you're doing so that even more people will get on board and more people will buy into the vision and more people will spread the news to everyone around them and on and on it goes. This way, every good deed becomes an investment in public relations. You know, we spent $10,000 helping these people, but we reaped a windfall in publicity. You know, whenever I see the TV commercials filled with sad-faced children living in abject poverty, like anyone with any feelings at all, I'm moved by the images. But I also can't wonder what happened after they turned off the camera. Did they give those children something to eat? Did they wash their dirty hands and faces and comb their hair and give them clean clothes to wear? Did they play games with them and give them a reason to laugh? Or did they just kind of pack up their gear and move on to the next location? Now, maybe I'm sounding a little cynical, and I know there's a fine line for relief organizations to walk, and it takes wisdom to do it right. On the one hand, people need to know what the conditions of poverty are like. On the other hand, you don't want to exploit the people you're called to serve just so you could be more successful at getting the word out. 
you know, I've been on the mission field many times, and I can say that I've seen some suffering that I'm just not comfortable sharing with anyone, even those who support whatever ministry I've been a part of, because those who suffer don't want to be put on display. Now, before I get too far off the topic, I want to bring this back to what Jesus said to the people he helped. When Jesus healed a hurting person, he made it clear to them, I'm not using you to promote my ministry. I'm not doing this for positive PR or for the crowds that will draw or for the fame that will come my way. I don't need you to be my walking advertisement. I'm doing this because I care about you. You matter, and that's enough. The lesson we can take from Jesus' attitude towards self-promotion is this. We can do good for others not because of any benefit that might come back our way, but simply because that other person is worth it, whether we get recognition or not. Now, let's take a look at the third event in Jesus' life where we see that his personal needs took second place to his purpose in life. In Luke 9, a man comes along and tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. Jesus simply says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said this, first of all, so that the man would know that following him comes with a price. And the life of a follower is not always an easy life. But in saying this, Jesus also tells us something about himself. He's telling us that as far as he is concerned, his life is more about the ministry he's called to do than it is about creating a certain level of comfort for himself. In his ministry years, Jesus was an itinerant rabbi, a traveling teacher, not homeless, but on the road all the time. And it was a life not lived without hardship. But for Jesus, it was worth it. He was willing to spend his time traveling from town to town, sleeping sometimes under the open skies, because he was fulfilling his purpose on earth. And for Jesus, fulfilling his purpose was more important than living in comfort. There's a great story in John chapter 4 in which Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. They stopped at a well, and the Bible says that Jesus was tired, so he sent the disciples into town to buy some food. And while Jesus was at the well, he had a conversation with a Samaritan woman that resulted in her salvation. When the disciples came back with the food, they asked Jesus to eat something, and he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Of course, they didn't know what he was talking about, so he explained it to them in John 4:34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It was like he was saying to the disciples, I just had this amazing conversation with a woman who experienced a complete life transformation. She's learning now to worship God in spirit and truth, and she's telling everyone she knows about it. Who could think of food at a time like this? We see in the Gospels that Jesus' top priority was not looking after his own needs and seeing to his own comfort. His top priority was, above and beyond all else, to do what the Father commanded him to do to fulfill his purpose on earth by serving the needs of others. We see this again near the end of Jesus' life, just days before his death, when he took a towel and a bowl of water and washed his disciples' feet. The Bible says he did this to show them the full extent of his love for them. Friends, here's a lesson we can learn from Jesus' attitude. We all have a purpose in life, and it involves much more than just seeking a comfortable life for ourselves. In fact, when you're fully engaged in pursuing God's purpose, your own needs take second place. Your greatest satisfaction comes from the good that you do. If anyone had a right to say, it's all about me, Jesus had that right. If anyone had the right to demand his way, 
Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Jesus had the right. If anyone had the right to demand preferential treatment, Jesus had the right. Yes, he had the right, but he never used it. Instead of seeking a life of comfort and fame, he chose a life of sacrificial service to others. We see it in his attitude. What's good enough for everyone else is good enough for me. I'm living here to minister to others, not use them to further my fame. Living out my purpose is more important than living in comfort. There are many things about Jesus that are beyond our ability to imitate, but taking on the attitude of a humble servant is something we can all do. That's why in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Yes, friends, Jesus came to show us what true greatness is, and he came to be a humble servant, because as it turns out, they're the same thing. If you want to be great, he said, learn to be the servant of all. You will never become more like Jesus than when you're serving others. And in this way, you can be just like Jesus today. God bless us all in that pursuit.